It's the last episode of the SBI show in 2014, and we're going out in style with three special guests and plenty to talk about. I am Garrett Cleverly. With me is Ivis Galarsep. What's cracking, man? Not so much, Garrett. I'm pretty excited, pretty pumped for our last show of the year, and I'm, I'm, I'm extra excited because we were able to get some guests. We have three guests lined up for the end of the year, and by now, if you're listening, you probably already know who our guests are. We have... Omar Salgado, the newly signed uh, Tigres forward, formerly of the Vancouver Whitecaps. We got Amobi Okugo of Orlando City, formerly of the Philadelphia Union. And last but not certainly not least, we have Alexi Lalas of Fox Sports, formerly of ESPN. Ivis, what do all three guests have in common? They will all have new teams in 2015, and we didn't plan it that way, but it just worked out. Yeah, no, kind of, kind of interesting how it worked out like that. <laughs> when you mentioned that, I was like, "Oh, that's true." Yeah, just it's kind of you know it's a little interesting. We got it's. I think it's a good group of, of guests. They 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 were all great. We've already done the interviews and uh, plenty plenty to talk about with, between them and all the different topics. So we might as well jump right on in. Yes, you're exactly right. And I mean, the biggest thing over the last week has has definitely been the the announcement. That Gideon Zela Lim, the the young Arsenal reserve player, has uh, secure. He's going through the process to secure his U.S. citizenship, which would make him eligible to play for the U.S. men's national team. And uh, you know, personally, I was, I think the hype is is a little too much from the U.S. fans. You know, I, I know this has been done before, looking to appoint a savior. But at the same time, I mean, it is exciting for a young player like him. Uh, you know, who's a member of Arsenal that that has you know, uh, you know there's the reports out there that that you know he's a high ceiling, lots of potential for him to move over. But at the same time, I think it's you know smart for all of us to take a step back and realize that he's still a 17 year old kid that has yet to make a first team appearance for Arsenal. Well, who, I just want to know one thing, right? Who exactly is going crazy about this news? I want to know. I mean, just because people tweet about it. People talk about it, and people are excited about a, a really talented player choosing to play for the U.S. I mean, what's wrong with being a little excited? I don't think there's anything wrong with being excited. I don't see this overwhelming groundswell of people ro- ro- running into the streets with with Zellum signs or, or our jerseys, Arsenal jerseys. Like, who's going crazy about this? Nobody. This is so. It's 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 so hilarious to me how we have all this. Talk about telling people to calm down. And you know what? Here, here's what it comes down to, right? I, honestly, this is my opinion. Yeah. I think it has less to do with Zellin and more to do with the fact that there's been so little for U.S. fans to be excited about in the last, I don't know, four or five months since the World Cup. We, you know, the U.S. team has had its ups and downs. They've had some bad losses. They haven't looked good at all. You know, so U.S. US fans, the, the, the way the year has ended has been disappointing. And now here you go, ending the year with some good news. And no, no, this kid is not the savior. No one's – who is even saying that? Nobody's saying that. But what he is is a talented young prospect who's chosen to play for the U.S. He's a different kind of player than we're used to having in the U.S. pool. He's very skilled. He's a highly skilled midfielder. Arsenal loves him. They rave about him. He's a highly regarded prospect on a top team in Europe. No, he's not stepping in and starting for the senior national team anytime soon. But you know what? U.S. fans, if you want to feel good about this, absolutely go ahead and feel good about this. Don't don't apologize because you're finally have something to be excited about. That, I, I think that's I think some people need. I think the people who are telling everyone to calm down, they need to calm down because it's not that serious. I uh, I don't know. I, what about what, that, what about what? okay? What about that that you know Twitter account that is not his that tweets out. 
the emoji of the American flag, right. and then everyone just loses it. Oh my gosh! Oh my lose gosh! It, That's it what I'm how? talking about. Lose it how? On Twitter, like how? on Twitter, keep, every yes, everyone it, on Twitter talking about it. it. If I tweet about something, that's me losing it because I say, oh, hey, this kid's going to play for the U.S. That's great. Like, how is that losing it? I think people are overstating the quote-unquote hysteria. I think it, I think it was funny that how that, that – and you know what? Here's another thing. I think it's going to be funny when it comes out that that account actually was his and that maybe he kind of like, you know, got yeah. a little freaked out when everyone, you know, talked about the emoji. Uh, but I don't know, man. I just think people they, – they should be able to be okay about it. I don't think anyone's running out and buying Zillow and posters and jerseys because because he may play for the U.S. I think one. I think as people start to see him play, and as he starts, as he continues to develop, I think people will, will, will uh, you know, they'll understand where he is in his development. He's not ready to be the guy. I don't. I don't know who's even. I, seeing I guess. It. No well, one's saying that. I guess, I guess my thing is for a seventeen-year-old kid. I feel like there's already. There's, there's too much. There's too much chatter about him. There's too many words being said about this kid. I mean, he's People still a kid interested. at the end of the day. He's at, I know they're interested, but, but, but why? Yeah. He has a professional contract at Arsenal. He has a professional contract at Arsenal. He does not. He's not a youth. He's not. He doesn't have a youth contract. He's not in their youth academy. He has a senior contract at Arsenal, and that's that. that you know, Arsenal doesn't give those to everybody. So he has something. On his resume, that makes him, you know, worth being interested in. I think for fans, U.S. fans, do I think he's projecting to be a, the starting playmaker mm-hmm. in 2018? I'm not ready to say that either. But you know what? Let let's, let U.S. fans have something to be happy about, something to get the bad taste out of the mouth after that embarrassing loss to Ireland, after just you know the the multiple blown leads and all these friendlies, the loss to Colombia, the the ties against Honduras and Ecuador. Uh, let let him have something to feel a little bit decent, a little bit good about. I mean, I I, I don't know, man. I just think like it, it's hilarious to me that that there's this kind of like backlash against being happy about something. Like, get a grip. Well, I guess it's not being happy about something, but it's just the whole yes, yes, we got him. Yes, oh my Who's gosh. Who's saying that? Who have you heard say that? I've, Name one person you heard say that. I've seen p- people on Where? Twitter for the Where? last on week. Twitter, you, you the can last hear week. Say yes, yes. Like, yes, I have been seeing that. Oh, Apparently, I'm following the wrong people. Ever, man. Look, some, look. Obviously, there's irrational people. There's people who are who are who are who are a little bit a little too excited about it. But so what? Like, who cares? Like, why do we have to have this? Uh, you know, why do we have to have like kind of killjoys jumping in and saying, "Oh, like no"? Honestly, I don't see. I see a lot of people who are happy, right? I see a lot of people who are like excited that maybe this kid is something special. Maybe this kid could do something. That's fine. If anything, I think people are overreacting because they're worried that this kid's gonna, uh, you know, be become another. Uh, overhyped kid who doesn't live up up to expectations and and it's it's uh i don't know it's almost like a defense mechanism and i understand that like you know some people are a little wary of it because we've seen plenty of young young talents that just don't live up to the hype and i get that i get that but you know what that doesn't mean fans shouldn't be allowed to be happy because a talented player in a great setup and on a on a top team in Europe, it wants to play for America. I don't like like give me a break, all right? Because I tell you what, if he had chosen to play for Germany uh, or or or, or either, I think it was Ethiopia, he could have played for as well. Uh, I, you know what? People would have been pretty unhappy about that, pretty upset about it. So this is a small victory uh, uh, in the overall scheme of things. He's not the savior, and no one's saying he's the savior. But you know what? If you want to be happy about it, go ahead and be happy about it. Well, I, I guess the one thing for me, Ivis, is, is the fact that a lot of people also haven't seen this kid play. And yes, I, I understand that he has a full contract with a full senior contract with Arsenal. But I mean, a lot changes when you see a player 
um, actually on the pitch. I mean, I guess for some people who've never seen him playing, what what type of player is is uh, Gideon Z- Gideon Zalalem? Uh, well, you know, he's a very skilled midfielder. Uh, he can play centrally. Uh, he he's been seen playing wide. He played wide uh, for Arsenal uh, against the against the Red Bulls when uh, when uh, they played in their friendly. He was a bit out of position, I believe, in that in that game. But uh, he, he all you hear about is the vision, the passing ability in the middle, uh, and just kind of his feel for the game uh, that kind of goes beyond his years. Now, does that mean the guy's going to be getting regular minutes at Arsenal anytime soon? No, but he does have talent. And he, he turns 18 next month. And, you know, for Arsenal, all you've heard for a while now is that they rate him highly. And that, you know, they see his him as someone who has quite a bit of upside. And if he continues on his path, he could be a special player. He's not there yet, but he has great qualities as a 17-year-old player in a great system under a good coach and, and Arsene Wenger playing at Arsenal and that skill set up and with the great talents that they have there. Um, and, and you know what? When it comes down to it, um, you don't have American players uh Right now, like American uh, born and raised uh, players that you don't have a ton of them that are in these kind of situations. So whenever you can when when you have a player like him who decides to commit to the U.S. Now, to be to to, just to clarify, he was born in Germany, but he spent quite a bit of his childhood in America. He was discovered in America uh, by Arsenal. So he you know, he's he's an American. right? Like he 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 considers himself to be an American. And and, you know, I I know some people are already kind of giving Jurgen Klinsmann the credit for for another Greek recruiting job. But honestly, I, I, I get the sense that this kid always was going to play for America. He, you know, he he feels more uh, uh, attached to this country. His friends are from here. His, his fa- I remember asking him about if he had a U.S. jersey, and he said no, but his father does. So, you know, like his father probably also helped push him towards the U.S. And uh, let, let's see how he progresses and how, do, how he develops. No one is saying or no one should say that this kid should come in and be starting for the senior U.S. national team. That is a little crazy. But having a player his age with his skill set, you know what? If he can jump in and be a part of the U20 setup for the U20 World Cup, uh, and then beyond that, if he continues to progress, be part of the U23 cycle uh, for Olympic qualifying and beyond and, and that kind of thing in the next couple of years, that's another talented player in what is already a pretty stacked age group. When you want to talk about the U20s, uh, which we can get into a little bit later, but the U20s have a lot of talent on that team. So, no, he is not the savior. No, he is not the kid that's going to come in and just show everybody how to play but he's got a, quite a bit of talent and let's see how he continues to progress well staying in in europe uh Ivesan, on wednesday mixed disc Groot's contract with rosenberg comes to a net that doesn't mean anything because rosenberg has pretty much said that mixed disc Groot is <laughs> not coming back um what, what is the latest on the front for mixed disc because he has not signed with anyone what, what are you hearing I mean, what, what's what are some clubs that he may possibly end up at well, I got to say, man, this whole thing is so hard to get a read on because, I mean, obviously, as much as he, he insists on denying, uh, uh, and as much as he denies it, by all accounts, his father, Mixtiscrew's father is his agent. He's his lead representative. He's the one driving negotiations. He's the one kind of at the forefront of all this stuff. And whether he's doing a good job or not, it does all seem a little bit confusing. Obviously, there were the reports out of Mexico that... Club Tijuana was an option, and he was in talks with them. My sources told me that, yes, there were talks, but now today I have confirmed that 
Tijuana is out of the mixed disc route running. They, they those talks are dead. They have since moved on. They've signed another player to fill their last international slot. So that's that's pretty much that. And now the latest on on mix is his father coming out and telling uh, media in Norway that Rosenborg is still an option that he could still resign, even though Rosenborg on their own club website said he would not be coming back. So it's all a little bit confusing. It all makes you wonder what exactly is going on in this kid's career. You know, it, what, what's the next step for him? Um, you know, from the people that I've talked to, the, the sense you get is that the, the father is in the middle of these talks and he isn't necessarily helping these things move along. And obviously we, we can remember uh, the talk from the Columbus crew about the father's involvement and how maybe he wasn't helping things. And of course, Disgrude came to his father's defense on big soccer uh, to pretty much say that it's all lies and that, you know, his father's not his agent. Um, but you know what? At the end of the day, we just this group's talented player. He's a talented U.S. player. He needs to go to a, a a better a better club than Rosenborg. He needs to step up. And if he ends up just resigning with Rosenborg, that's a that's a failure in my opinion by mm-hmm. whoever's representing him because the kid, his talent with his talent, he should be ready to take a step up. And now Celtic has been linked with him, mm-hmm. uh, the Scottish powerhouse. Uh, but beyond that, we haven't really heard anything as far as specific clubs in Europe. So let's see what happens. Right now, what we can say is that is that Mexico seems out. And from the people that I talk to, uh, MLS is probably unlikely because, you know what, it just sounds like it's it's becoming too difficult to negotiate with his people. Yeah. And I don't know if MLS is going to want to deal with that. It definitely seems like that, like that that the negotiation is so difficult makes makes screw that, I mean, you know, just assume that maybe some teams will possibly shy away from that. Right. I mean, obviously, Columbus crew moved on. They they went and signed other players. Um, a, lot, a lot of teams have already kind of settled on their guys. And I know people want to play, you know, play GM and say, uh, oh, let's put let's put this group on the Galaxy. Let's put them on on whatever other team might need a playmaker. Let's put them on the Red Bulls. Uh, the Red Bulls supposedly were interested. But then, you know, other sources said that, no, there was never any interest expressed by the Red Bulls. So, it, it, you know, what is MLS still an option for them? Uh, I think it'd be great if it were. I mean, it'd be great to have this group in MLS, but uh, at this point, it, it, it's better just to sit and wait for an official announcement than trying to chase this story down because it just changes on a daily basis. Well, speaking of American players that are on the move, Omar Salgado Ivis has moved down to Liga MX side Tigris. Uh, we all know what's been like for him the last couple of years in Vancouver, not playing as much. This looks like a great move for him, Ivis. Hopefully. Uh, he'll get a lot of playing time and, and get back on track where a couple years ago people hadn't projected as, as a future, you know, stud for the U.S. men's national team. Well, he, you know, like, like one step at a time, right? I mean, he he's still in the process of rebuilding his career. We're talking about a guy who was the number one overall pick in the MLS draft. It never quite worked out at Vancouver. He had foot injuries. Uh, he had foot surgery and the surgery didn't go well. It didn't keep it didn't. it didn't. His foot uh, continued to be an issue. I think he broke it on multiple occasions. Uh because of an issue with the first surgery, from what I understand. So uh, that set him back quite a bit. And then when he finally did come back, when he finally got healthy and was able to play, he couldn't get on the field uh, with the Whitecaps. He he couldn't uh, get on the field. I know he had issues with the coach, uh, him and Carl Robinson and and the coaching staff there. Uh, So it all got pretty ugly. And if anything, I think it's great to see them kind of part ways and find a solution to get out of that because – uh, but everything that I had heard, uh, Salgado had been trying to get out of there for a while, and we ha- we obviously had a chance to talk to him, and he kind of reiterated that. But for you know, Vancouver held on to him 
for a long time, and and you have to, and you almost got the sense that uh, they they just wanted to have him as long as they could, so that it wouldn't look so bad that he was their first overall pick, the first pick in the club's history, and he really didn't pan out for them. And uh, you know, he's still a talented player. I know a lot of people want to write him off already, but he's still young. He's still talented. Obviously, Tigres, a top club, they liked what they saw when they had him in training camp, or and they had where they had him on a trial. And now he's there, and you know it's it's another step, hopefully, in rebuilding his career. And uh, it, there's worse places to be. I mean, we've seen what Jose Torres was able to do there. Uh, Richard Sanchez, the former FC Dallas goalkeeper, is there. Uh, so they're a club that's going to give American Mexican American players a chance, and uh, we'll see what he can do with it. Well, speaking of uh, Omar, we have him on the phone right now. Omar, how you doing today? Good, good. Yourself? We are we are doing excellent. Big news for you. First off, congrats on the move. Uh, you've always wanted to play in, in Liga MX. I mean, how, how do you feel about it? And what what is about uh, Tigris that made you want to go there? Yeah, I'm happy about it. Happy about the move. Um, you know, Tigres is a really big club in Mexico with uh, with a lot of history and and uh, with great players that uh, that uh, have have a big name for themselves. So it's uh it's an honor to be able to play alongside them. Now you you got a chance to to train uh, with with Tigres uh, a while back. Did, when did, did you get a sense then that they were interested that that they liked it, that they liked what they saw and and how did you feel just being there? Did it just feel like a natural fit for you there? Yeah, um, I came two months ago and it was great. I mean, uh, we after the the two weeks we talked and they said that they would uh, like to make an offer to buy me and, and that's how it worked out. Um, yeah, I love it here. It's a it's a great atmosphere. Um, the team really feels like a like a family, and the locker room was great. And uh, well, the players, um, soccer wise, are, are very very good, and, and I felt like you know it was the best best move for me at the moment. Right, and uh, how much did it help having? I mean, I, I, I guess Gringo Torres is there, Jose Torres is there. I know they had Hercules, but I know he's moved on back to Puebla. But I mean, does it help kind of having some guys you know there? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, you know, I, I got to to hang out with uh, Richard Sanchez as well, who was kind of my age as well. So, it's a it's it's a great locker room with a with a lot of Americans that helped me fit in really really easily and and took me to practice and and uh, you know just kind of brought me into the family. So, it was a uh, it was great to, to to have them around. What was it about moving down to Mexico and playing in Liga MX? Um, yeah, it was uh the fans a lot had to do a lot of uh yeah had to do a lot. I mean, the fans here are amazing. Um. You know, you you go to the stadium and the stadium's completely packed, sold out, and it's raining outside. It's a Wednesday night, and and uh, they they don't quit. <laughs> so it's a it's an awesome atmosphere. It's a it's a great team with a lot of history and and something that I want to be a part of. Now, now obviously, Omar, your time in, in MLS and with Vancouver uh, didn't go the way you would like to uh, like to have gone. It you had your ups and downs. You had your kind of rough times there. Um, what, what, t- just tell me about that experience overall and. Uh, how tough a time was it for you in Vancouver? Yeah, it was difficult. <laughs> um, you know, since kind of the minute I went into Vancouver, it, it became really difficult. Um, you know, our uh, first coach got fired, the one that drafted me right away, and and from there on, it just kind of you know kind of went downhill after after my injury. And uh, yeah, it, it wasn't <laughs> the best of times. It was it was really difficult, um, but something that I'm glad uh, I got through. Right, and I mean, how, how tough was it? I mean, it, it, uh, I get the I mean, just looking at the situation, it seemed like for a while now that you've wanted to leave. Uh, I mean, it, did, you, did you, did you, even this, even with this deal, did, were you worried that you'd, you'd even get a chance to leave now? Um, yeah, I was worried. Um, I was worried that they would uh, want to keep me for a bit, but I'm glad that it all worked out this way. I mean, 
I felt like uh, moving moving on was uh, the best thing for me and, and something that I really needed. I mean, I felt like for the past two years, I kind of didn't really want to be there anymore. And, and uh, you know, I shared that feeling with them, but they didn't feel the same way. So it was, uh, it was, it was good to, to finally move on. Do you think you got a, a fair shake in Vancouver? I mean, did you come away feeling like you, you got a, a kind of a, a legitimate shot while you were there? No, <laughs> not at all. Um, I was there and I didn't really play much. Um, you know, a lot of it had to do with my with my injury as well. But, you know, when I was there, uh, I wasn't really uh, given the, the chance to show that, that I can play at, at that level. I mean, I was given, you know, a couple a couple minutes uh, here and there, but nothing really concrete to, to make me feel like uh, I was part of the starting 11. Right. And, and as far as your own, I mean, obviously the sense there that, they didn't really give you a chance, but I mean, do, do you feel like you, you also had your part to play? I mean, do you feel like you, there's mistakes maybe when you look back on it that you made or things you might've done differently? Yeah, completely. <laughs> I learned a lot from it. I made a lot of mistakes and, and uh, I acknowledge it. Um, you know, it was a, uh, it was a difficult time for me and something that, that I was really frustrated with. And, and you know, um, it, you know, my feelings got to me and, and, uh, I made mistakes, but I'm glad it, it it's all over. Right. Some people, you know, when they when they look at your time there, they might think that it was the worst thing that ever happened to you. But I mean, the, the sense I get is that you you appreciate it for what it was and for what it did for you and for it making you the person you are now. I mean, is that is that how you come away from that experience? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it uh it made me stronger for sure. I uh, I went through really difficult times there. It was a uh, it wasn't easy, and uh, you know I'm I'm, I'm glad that that it's over and and. Uh, you know, I, I learned a lot from it, and, and I don't regret it. Now that you're no longer there and, and attached to the Vancouver Whitecaps, you're able to look back at the few years that you were uh, playing up in Canada. Uh, what, what is the biggest thing that stood out to you, or more or less, what is the biggest lesson that you learned? Um, yeah, I learned to be patient, really. Um, I had to be, be patient throughout the whole time, and, and uh, you know, I, I kept getting frustrated because I wasn't playing or I was injured, and, and uh, I didn't get along with the coaches, and... Uh, yeah, it was, it was it was a difficult time. Something that I uh, for sure didn't enjoy, and and uh, something that I had to, to kind of learn to to deal with, and, and kind of just sit on the side and, and uh, wait for your opportunity. But really, that opportunity never came. Right. Uh, going back to theaters, obviously they they saw you, they had you in, they liked what they saw. Uh, given the tough times you had in Vancouver, how much of a confidence booster is it for you to have a club like them? show this interest and show this kind of desire to bring you in? I mean, does that kind of kind of re- recharge your batteries, rejuvenate you in a way? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it, uh, it kind of, mo- it, it really motivates me to, uh, to keep moving forward. I mean, you know, being in Vancouver was uh, really unmotivating and, and something that, that I didn't uh, enjoy. So it's good to, to finally know that, you know, someone wants me here. Someone wants me to, to be on the team and, and uh, you know, be a big part of be a part of such a big team is is something uh, special. Well, getting games under your belt is going to be huge for you going forward at Tigres. What are your expectations for the U.S. men's national team, and also your expectations uh, for the U.S. U twenty three team? Yeah, they're big. Um, hopefully, I uh, I get called into U twenty threes and and hopefully play uh, the Olympics in uh, two thousand sixteen. And from there on, I, I hope to, to to move on to play for uh, Yuri Klinsman. For the for the big team, how, how tough was that experience for you as far as the injuries go? I mean, obviously you had the you had the foot surgery, and then and then you kept having issues with it. And all along, all in that time, you know, you you were you were supposed to be part of the U twenty setup, uh, and you weren't able, and you kind of missed out on that. I mean, how tough was that that missing out on that kind of part of of things? 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was really difficult. There was times that that I thought uh, my career was over for sure. Um, there was there was really difficult days where where I thought that uh, you know this this would never end and I would uh, never get back on the field. But um, I guess I learned to 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 pull through it and and uh, push forward. And uh, you know, life goes on. Right. Right now, what, now as far as your, your, your I, I just one more for me. I'm kind of curious. Now you've gotten a lot bigger uh, physically uh, from when you started out. I mean, I remember you when you got drafted. You were pretty skinny. Uh, now it looks like you, you hit the weights pretty hard. I mean, how, how have you changed as a player because of that? Yeah, I mean, it, it helps me a lot um, up top. I mean, playing against big center backs is uh, difficult to do with with your back to them. So I think it, it helps me a lot to hold the ball up and, and keep it. Keep it, keep it in in, uh, in our possession. Um, you know, something that that I felt like the first year I wasn't really able to do because I would get pushed off the ball really easily. Right. So, are you more center forward now, or are you still going to be playing wide? I mean, where do you see yourself positionally? Oh uh, yeah, I think center forward. <laughs> I think I mean that's where they're playing playing me here, and I feel like that's my my position. Is you, do you, does your family still in Texas, or do you, or, or what? Or? Yes, they are. Nice. How far are they from uh, from the, uh, Monterey? Or um, there it's a really short flight. It's like an hour and a half flight, but it's like a twelve-hour drive. So I mean, oh, that yeah. close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, it's definitely a flight. Nice, <laughs> yeah. oh, nice. So, so where are you guys now? Are you guys in training camp? Uh, no, we're we're here in Monterey. I mean, since they made the final, they didn't really have a preseason. Oh, right, right. Okay. Yeah. And uh, now, do you do you get the sense like ha, have the coaches or have the people there kind of give you a sense of where you stand in the pecking order there? I mean, do you, do you think you're going to have a legitimate chance right off the bat to get for playing time, or is it more, or or do you think you think it's going to be a bit of a wait for that? Yeah, I think I think it's more long term. Um, you know, with the big tournament coming up in Copa Libertadores and and uh, all the players that they bought, I don't know if I'm going to get a chance uh, right away these first six months. But um, yeah, I think it's more of a, a long term project over a short term good stuff and omar ivis and i really appreciate you jumping on the show with us today good luck with the move congratulations again and uh have a happy new year thank you very much thank you for having me happy new year all right well uh well good stuff with omar ivis uh glad we had him on the show today yeah no it was a chance to, uh it was good to get a chance to hear from him i mean he's someone who's people obviously known the name and they've heard the story and 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 you know at one point he was he was a really highly rated uh, U.S. youth national team prospect. He, he was someone who, you know, w- when you look at the U-20 cycle that he was in previously, uh, he could have played a big role in that, but uh, unfortunately injuries uh, cost him on that front. But, you know, his career is far from over. He's still young. I think, what is he, 21? He's still young. He he, uh, he can still be a part of the next U-23 cycle. And uh, if he does well down in Mexico, he could still be a part eventually of the U.S. national team. But, of course, one step at a time, he has a long way to go. Uh, to get there, so uh, you know, but you know what, he he, we'll see, we'll see how he does, and and it wouldn't be the first time that someone you know didn't work out, it didn't work out for them at their first club, but then they move on, they get away from that situation, and they and they flourish. So, you know, good luck to uh, good luck to Omar Salgado as he takes the next step. Well, keeping it in the theme of Americans abroad, uh, Tim Howard Iverson picked up an unfortunate uh, calf injury. He's going to be out six weeks. He, he kicked the ball at Everton's uh, loss to Stoke. Um, last week, and uh, you know, hopefully this this doesn't amount to anything a little more seriously. Six weeks, though, still a significant amount of time to be out. But uh, but hopefully Tim Howard can uh, can come back and uh, return to full strength for Everton. Right, it's a, it's definitely unfortunate. The timing could not 
be worse. Uh, Everton's hit a hit a, a real rut. They've lost four out of five. Uh, they lost the Stoke match that he was injured in. Then they lost on Boxing Day uh, to Newcastle, and now they're going to be without him until February. And if you're Everton. You have to ask yourself, do we go get a goalkeeper? Because uh, uh, Howard's backup, Joel Robles, hasn't really looked the part, and he hasn't really looked like he's the guy that you can definitely count on. So will they go get uh, an upgrade? Are they going to go get uh, a goalkeeper who's going to mount a serious challenge to Howard when even when Howard returns to health? And i got to say I was a little surprised uh, seeing some of the reactions because you know I was able to to break this story on the injury. I reported it for goal dot com uh, on monday and some of the reactions on twitter i was a little surprised by i think everton fans are pretty down some everton fans are pretty down on tim howard and uh think he's he hasn't been up to snuff this this season for them and obviously coming off his outstanding world cup it's a little surprising to see that kind of reaction but uh you know hopefully he, we wish him a a speedy recovery and and get back out there and uh obviously he's taking a break from the u.s national team uh and so from that standpoint it's not going to affect anything with the u.s but you know you have you start asking yourself is this going to become an issue now like is he getting to a point in his career where physically he's going to have issues is he going to have injury issues uh we all know he had the streak of more than 200 starts and and then he had the the broken bones in his back that broke that streak back in 2013 uh other than that what injury he hadn't really had any serious injuries throughout his career up until now now he's out six weeks, and uh, you know, hopefully he can get back and get right back into that starting lineup. Yeah, kind of an interesting injury too. I mean, he kicked the ball. You don't see that very very often. A guy kicking the ball and then coming up uh, hopping after that. Um, bringing it back to Major League Soccer, I have a, kind of a little interesting thing going on right now with Real Salt Lake and their young center back Carlos Salcedo. After the season ended, Carlos said that he did not want Real Salt Lake to pick up his option. Recently on Twitter, he said that he was hoping to reach a deal with Chivas USA. RSL is now saying that it's premature to link Carlos Salcedo with any moves. What's going on here, man? This seems just like a he said, she said thing that is just becoming very confusing and very messy. Okay. Um, You know Chivas USA doesn't exist. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Chivas (laughs) Guadalajara. I don't know why I said Chivas USA. I I do the same. Listen, I've done the same thing. I think Chivas USA will always live in our memory. Uh, Actually, it was funny. When I tweeted tweeted the Eric uh, with the Kubo Torres Uh uh, uh, move to Houston, I I made the same mistake. I was like, oh, he's going to go on loan to to Chivas USA because it's just like it's in your, you know, you you, you, (laughs) – You had Chivas USA around for not, for ten seasons, and and now they're not going to be around. So still a little weird. But anyway, back to back to this <laughs> uh, back to this story. Carlos Salcido, we touched on it, I think, in the last episode of the SBI show. The kid needs to shut the hell up and let things play out. Like whoever's whoever's managing this kid is not doing a good job because it's completely unprofessional on his part to come out and and pretty much act like first the whole bashing of. Of, of his general manager in the public that like that was terrible uh and then to come out and act like uh, a move had already been completed uh a transfer or or as if he'd been let, let out of his contract i mean i said it last episode or if if they have if they have an option on his on on salcedo why in the world would they not pick it up he is clearly someone who's in demand he's a young uh young talented central defender part of the mexican youth national team setup of course they're going to pick up his option i believe they already have picked up his option so as much as he wishes he could do whatever he wants and go wherever he wants he has the contract he has to honor it and by and just because he's trying to uh, it seems like he's almost trying to make this mess to force them to sell him i mean that's some amateur hour 
crap right there. I got to tell you, that's amateur hour stuff. Whoever's advising him on this needs to, like, get fired or maybe actually advise the kid and tell him, you know what, shut up. You're not helping anything. You're only making things worse. You're only, you're only creating an a, a adversarial situation here with the club. You know what, at the end of the day, I'm sure he will get sold. I'm sure he will get his wish granted. But RSL is not going to give the guy away, and nor should they. No. They shouldn't. Uh, hey, Carlos has a lot of potential. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm noticing a trend with these young kids, Ivis, that are coming up. They, they take the Twitter and social media way too often and way too fast. They, there needs to be like a rule with these kids to like not be on social media. A lot of these kids shoot themselves in the foot numerous occasions there, and times. Well, look, there's that, there's that, and there's also the whole, uh, you know, from what I've heard, my sources tell me apparently Salcido's father is his agent. And oh, God. I, I, I'm just saying, like, maybe, you know what? <laughs> if you're a player... Uh, you should really be seriously careful about who adv- who who runs your career, and uh, you know what? The way I see it, I, I see people who have good uh, ad- uh, advisors, who have good agents, and I see people who do have bad agents or who don't have agents at all. And you know what? As much as the whole agent business can have its shady side and have its bad agents there's plenty of good agents out there and and the a good agent is worth every penny i'll speak from my own experience and i gotta say i don't really get it i don't i mean i think some players uh should take a little more care with their careers and uh you know unfortunately some people have to learn that the hard way and uh you know i'm sure that you could write a book on some of the cautionary tales of players who maybe you know didn't didn't go with the right representation or or the right uh, people kind of managing their careers. But unfortunately, some people have to learn the hard way. Well, keeping it in Major League Soccer, Montreal next year is going to be without Italian striker Marco DeVaio, who retired. It looks like Montreal's going out and looking to acquire a new Italian striker that is Alberto Giardino. Uh, Ivis, what's the latest on this, and uh, is this a smart move for Montreal? Well, I can tell you there were there were reports earlier in the week about Montreal being interested in uh, Giardino as well as uh, Argentine playmaker Juan Riquelme. And what I can say from talking to my sources is that the Riquelme connection, that's not happening. Montreal will not be going after him. They are not uh, in the process of getting Riquelme. Uh, but Giardino, they are interested in. He's someone that they have made an offer for. They put a bid in for him. He's currently with a Chinese club. And... Uh, I know some people might write, write that off as, as kind of a bad move or a, someone who's past his prime, but I mean, it's easy to forget that he's less than a year removed from being in Serie A with Genoa scoring 13 goals. I mean, he scored goals in, in Italy as recently as a year ago. So, I mean, I think he's someone, when you just look at that and look at his pedigree, he's someone who should be able to come to MLS and score some goals. And if you're Montreal, you absolutely need that. You need to be able to replace the Vio. I know they have Jack McInerney, who, who showed obviously showed some quality again. Uh, after his move there from Philly, but I think having a player like Giardino gives them a big boost, and I really like what Montreal's done with some of the moves they've made, and and I think, uh, you know what, if you want to talk about teams that can maybe turn things around in 2015, Montreal just might be one of those teams. Uh, Also, speaking of player news and uh, rumors coming out of left field, kind of, but just popping up out of nowhere, apparently it looks like Ronaldinho is maybe linked to Orlando City. I mean, these are just rumors, but I mean that that would be quite interesting if that happened. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I think if you can get if you can get Ronaldinho <laughs> and Kaká, I mean that's a dream come true, especially in Orlando with with the amount of Brazilians they have, and not even just the Brazilians, but soccer fans in general. Ronaldinho is a special player and yep. a player who who so many. 
uh, diehards and casual soccer fans can love and appreciate. And I know, yes, he's in the latter end of his career. He, he's had his issues. Uh, but it would be great if they could bring him. Uh, the latest out of Mexico is that Querétaro plans on keeping him, that he's going to stay in Mexico with Querétaro for the upcoming season. So that's the latest out of Mexico. So just from that standpoint, it looks like Ronaldinho is not going to happen. Uh, at least not yet. But if Orlando City is trying to make that happen, it just goes in line with with the kind of moves, big moves that they've been mm-hmm. making this off season. And you have to be impressed with the with, with the kind of the the approach Orlando City has taken. Uh, they're not messing around. They're not taking baby steps. They're flying right in, jumping in, trying to make big move after big move. One of those big moves that Orlando City did make was bringing in. Omobia Kugo from Philadelphia Union and, and Ivis. I mean, that, that's just a huge pickup for Orlando City. I mean, a player like him with the ceiling that he has and just kind of his progression over the last couple of years. I mean, that, that was a huge acquisition for Orlando. Oh, no doubt. I mean, he you want you want some players who 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 have that experience in MLS and ha, have succeeded in MLS. And I don't think we've seen uh, Omobia Kugo ceiling just yet. I don't think we've seen his very best. And uh, there was that question of would he go to Europe? Would he stay in MLS? And I think him staying in MLS now joining Orlando and taking on a, a bigger role uh, in Orlando, clearly a leadership role there. He's not a kid anymore. He's not a 18 year old rookie anymore. He is a veteran, an MLS veteran. He's put his years in, his five years in the league, and now it's time for him to step up. And uh, it's going to be great to see how he does there with that uh, that team that's starting to look pretty good in Orlando. Well, we have the uh, Orlando City midfielders online with us right now. Moby, how are you doing today? Good. How's everything going? Uh, happy holidays to both of you guys. How are the holidays going? How's, how's the offseason treating you? Uh, offseason's going well. Um, you know, getting that itch back to play again, but... It's good, you know, spend time with the family, train, you know, hang out with old friends, uh, off-season things, I guess. Well, I'm sure all of them have been asking you. I mean, just over a month ago, uh, you were acquired by Orlando City. Um, and this is kind of interesting for you because this is now the second time that you're going to be involved with an MLS club that's making its debut in, in Major League Soccer. Um, how was the reception so far with Orlando, and, and how familiar were you with them before the move? Yeah, I was, um, I was fairly familiar with Orlando City. I mean... Once everything got signed, they flew me out with um, Aurelian Holland and Tally Hall. We, you know, we met the whole front office, a bunch of the fans. And so far, everyone has been re- very welcoming. I'm, uh, I've been very impressed uh, and very grateful for the opportunity that Orlando has given me. Um, so I'm just looking forward to the season. It's going to be, uh, you know, being a part of an expansion team again, it's going to be fun. I feel like I'm a different player from the last time I was part of one, and I'm just excited to um, move forward with Orlando City. Now, now, Moby, I know a lot of people were kind of surprised by the move when it came down, but this had been in the works for a few months. I mean, I remember hearing, in the, I think even in the late summer, about Orlando being interested in you and this being a possibility. How far back did you first hear about this possibility, and how much did the fact that Orlando wanted, made it clear that they wanted you how much did that make it easier for you to want to stay in MLS as opposed to going to Europe? Yeah, um, my agent uh, reached out to me um, back in August. You know, with my situation, I was going to be a, a free agent at the end of the at the end of the MLS season. So he wanted to, you know, give me all my options. And he said, if you were to stay in MLS, Orlando would be a, a viable option. They're very interested, and. So, you know, as the season wind down, I was able to decompress with my family and all that. You know, I looked at all my options on the table, and the way Orlando presented their situation and the way they saw me as a player, 
to help me improve as a player as well. Um, I felt like it was the right decision, and I'm just hoping to, you know, back up their faith and, you know, making a lot of things happen for me to join their team. Now, obviously, you you started your career in Philly. Uh, you'd been you were you're one of the the first players there with the team. Uh, at what point did you kind of have an idea that that you were going to be done there? That this was it. This was the last year for you. Did, had you made up that? Had you made that decision even before the season ended, or or did or did it come later? Uh, to be honest, I think it came after uh, after the season. You know, um, towards the end of the season, we were doing really well with Philly. You know, making a late push into the playoffs and the Open Cup. So, you know, I didn't really want to get distracted um, on what I was going to do in terms of the next step in my career until after the season because we were, we had a very important things going on in terms of Philly. Um, and then after the season, we talked with the coaching staff and the um, technical director, uh, Chris Albright, and, you know, just had a good meeting. Everything went according to plan. And, and I talked to my agent, talked to my parents, and then, from then, the decision was made. Right. Uh, well, what obviously when some people look at the way the season ended, uh, they'll point to that U.S. Open Cup final and the fact that you didn't play in it. Uh, is it fair to say that did or didn't have a role in your decision? I mean, some people look at that and say, oh, well, he didn't even get on the field for that game. Uh, that Was that a sign? I mean, did you take that as a sign that maybe your, your days were numbered there? Oh, uh, not not necessarily. You know, uh, Coach Jim talked to me before the run-up to the game. He said, um, he felt that the lineup he was going to put on the field was going to uh, give the give our team the best opportunity to win. You know, as a competitor, you know, I was upset, but as a teammate for my uh, team, you know, you got to be a good teammate. You got to you know support the team. Um, unfortunately, we didn't win. You know, we had we played a great game, but you know we fell in overtime. But um, my decision wasn't based on one instance um, during the Open Cup or one start that didn't play or anything like that it was it was a well thought out decision after surveying all my options now that you've been in the league for five years and you're no longer one of the younger guys when you came in your first two seasons you didn't play as many matches but the last couple of years you played a significant role for the philadelphia union when you look back at the five years that you have played for the union and in major league soccer how do you see your growth and your development uh, in that time period yeah, uh, to be honest, I feel like I've grown a, uh, grown a lot. Uh, I feel like Philly has, uh, you know, prepared me for my next step. Um, you know, I started out in 2010, a young young Cali boy out of uh, UCLA, and uh, you know, I I didn't I didn't immediately start as a rookie. I found my way on the field, and, you know, kept pushing, kept progressing. Uh, dealt with a lot of adversity, you know, three coaches, position changes, all that, and I feel like you know Philly was the best situation for me to grow as a player and, you know, mature as a, not only a player, but as a man. And uh, I feel like it, it helped me out a lot. And I'm hoping to use my experiences from Philadelphia and carry it out into my, the next phase of my career. Now, Moby, especially the last few years, once you kind of established yourself as a starter and started to play really well, you know, the talk was that, you know, people could see you in Europe. People could see you making that jump to Europe. Now, obviously, you had that opportunity being out of contract, how, how close were you to going to Europe? And, and, and if you had gone, where, where do you think you might have wound up if you had decided to make that decision? Yeah, you know, uh, I've never been shy to say Europe is uh, my goal to play, uh, play in eventually. Um, I think my chances at the end of the season, you know, 50-50. Uh, and then after looking at everything, Orlando was a better option. 
Um, if I were to, if I were going to go to Europe, it would have been in Germany or France. Those were where my options were the highest. Um, Germany, second division or, you know, low first division. And then France, first division. Those are where I was getting most interest in by actual viable options to uh, pursue my career in Europe. Right. Well, you chose Orlando, and, and, and I tell you, these guys are not playing around. Adrian Heath and, and uh, Paul McDonough, they put together a pretty pretty good squad already between yourself and Aurelian, and now you got Breck and obviously Kaká, and now there's rumors of Ronaldinho. I mean, have they even surprised you with how quickly they've been able to put together a nucleus? Yeah, I, I, I'm honestly very surprised. You know, you know, with uh, certain expansion teams, you always go through the growing pains, but I feel like with, you know, Coach Adrian Heath, the rest of the coaching staff, Mr. Paul McDonough, uh, they've done a good job, you know, you know, building the strong foundation from USL to help, you know, ease that transition into the MLS. And, you know, they're, all their resumes speak for themselves, so I'm happy to be on board and help me grow as a player. I think we can do a lot of big things. As you've grown as a player the last couple of years in Philadelphia, you, were at, you had the opportunity to play and learn from Maurice Adu. Now you go down to Orlando City where you have the opportunity to play with Kaka. Do you feel like a little bit of this move to Orlando was due in part with the fact that you wanted to get, you wanted to catch Jurgen Klinsmann's eye uh, for potential call to the U.S. men's national team or even that U.S. men's national team camp in January? Yeah, exactly. That was, uh, that was actually one of the reasons why I was so keen on this Orlando thing, you know, just with the resources, the players that they have already um, brought in, it's going to help me as a player not to grow, to grow and um, develop and constantly compete for positions. You know, Brett is someone I'm familiar with from the residency U20, U23. It's, um, so I'm happy to be playing with him again. Um, he's the special talent. Kaka, you know, his resume speaks for himself. Uh, he always makes players around him better. Um, I'm ex- I'm excited to hopefully you know share the field with them and soak up the knowledge, um, just like I did with uh, Marisa Du, who's, who's going to stay a dear friend of mine who uh, taught me a lot. Last season we were able to play together, so I'm I'm very excited about this new opportunity. Now, now speaking of the national team, have you heard from them, or uh, have you found yourself kind of waiting for that? I mean, is it are, are you are you start where where's that kind of stand? Obviously, you were part of. Uh, you know, the Olympic qualifying setup, U-20s all the way down the line uh, on the youth national team side. But, you know, Klinsman hasn't called you yet. Have have you heard? Has there been any discussions with, with, with him or his people? No, I haven't uh, haven't uh, talked to Coach Klinsman. I haven't uh, received any contact. You know, anything I hear is usually from my agent about, you know, there's interest, you know, just keep doing, just keep doing your thing, be patient. But nothing from uh, the coaching standpoint. Um, I've been with the, U, 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 the national team since U14 all the way to Olympic camp. So, you know, I have work to do to make that, that next step. And hopefully if I keep progressing on the track that I'm on. I can uh, hopefully get there one day. Now, something I'm not sure people are aware of uh, at this point, but you, you recently uh, secured your Nigerian passport. Is that right? Oh, yes. I uh, finally received it this offseason. So uh, it was a long time coming. I, I, I needed to get that. So is that an option? I mean, Nigeria national team. I mean, I'm hearing that that they've been they've been in touch with you, and we know how much Klinsman likes the dual nationals. So I mean, is that an option? You might you might, might you get a call? Might you be hanging out with Bright DK pretty soon, or you know, is that in the future? Is that in the future? <laughs> yeah, uh, they made inquiries. You know, um, you know, both my parents are Nigerian, so I'm Nigerian American, so I have that op- uh, that option. 
they've uh, they had never made they haven't made any formal offer just gauging my interest. So I'll, I mean I had my passport just in case that would have happened, and uh, you never know what the future holds. All right, I got to ask you now. You, you you're leaving Philly. I saw you pack the moving van, uh, the moving truck, uh, to get all your stuff out of there. What are you gonna miss the most about Philly? Uh, you know, off the field, on the field. What are you gonna miss the most about about Philly? Um, besides, you know, playing with my teammates every day. Um, you know, Philly has a very good restaurant scene. Uh, I think it's very underrated. Uh, they have a lot of a lot of good restaurants. And I lived in the old city, so um, I was near all of it. You know, a quick walk or a taxi or even uh, public transportation, I was able to get to a bunch of nice restaurants. And uh, the fans as well. The fans, I, I, I connected with them um, pretty good. Cause, so they're, they're great to me as well. Right. Now, I, I take it you're not going to miss the cold weather. Have you have you given away all your winter clothes yet? I mean, you're, you know, you're going to, Orla- you're <laughs> yeah. going to Orlando. You're not going to need that. No, I only kept my rain jackets. I I got rid of all my winter coats. Uh, Salvation Army and uh, to a couple family members, so they're happy. We won't talk about UCLA's penalty shootout loss uh, in the final. We won't, uh, we won't get into that. <laughs> was there? Did you did, did you bet anybody on that game? Was there any money on that game? Oh, or? luckily, nah. I <laughs> fucking messed to Baki and uh, I fucking messed to Baki and Tony a little bit, but you know they won again. Uh, we should have just went straight to PK because that's what Virginia wanted. But yeah, credit to them. They came out with the game plan and they won. So. <laughs> well, Moby, uh, thank you so much, man, for, uh, for jumping on the show today. And, uh, and enjoy your New Year's out here, uh, out here in Phoenix, man. Have a good time. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Uh, I hope you guys bring in the New Year with family as well. And this is the second time, Ivis, that we've had uh, a Moby on the show. It's always nice to have him on. And if you're a Orlando City fan, I mean, you have to be so excited to have this player on your roster. No, he's a class act, man. I mean, I, I've had a chance to, you know, uh, get to know him really well um, uh, through the years, uh, even before he became a regular starter. And he's always been a real, uh, real mature kid for his age. And now that he's actually put, has the years in and the games in and the experience, you just kind of see that that maturity grow into a guy who mm-hmm. really should be a leader on that team. And uh, obviously they have some other veterans that are going to be a part of that. Don, uh, Donovan Ricketts, Tally Hall when he gets healthy, Aurelian Cullen. Uh, Kaka obviously is going to be a leader on that team, but you know I think Okugo is the kind of guy that can it can develop into a, a a real force on that team, a force in the locker room, the kind of guy that can bring together the younger players and, and bridge that gap between the younger players and the older players. Well, Ivis, we've hit the uh, SBIQ and A. We haven't done this in, in quite some time. Um, remember, everyone, you can always submit your questions on Twitter using hashtag Ask the SBI Show. But the first question here kind of relates to. Amobi comes from Jonathan Moore. He asks, Ivis, based on current rosters, who wins the opener between Orlando and NYCFC? Well, we I think we had this discussion last show. It's Orlando. It's, you, you know it, it's Orlando. It, it's early, but if we're talking about rosters at this very minute, yes, Orlando, because yes. they have more players already. Right now they have more players, but New York is getting more players. New York is going to go get a handful of players from Manchester City. Uh, eventually, Frank Lampard will come back. They'll be okay, but if you're talking about asking me right this minute based on what the rosters are right this minute, yes, Orlando City does have the advantage. Uh, next question comes from William McLean. Do Teal Bunbury and Ethan Finley get a call for the January camp? Well, both th- those are really two two really good options uh, when you think about what they were able to do this year and also uh, Jurgen Klinsmann's need 
for some wing depth and for some options that can work on the flank. And I think both of those players showed some really good qualities on the flank. I know Bunbury started out as a target forward uh, in his early years and in his previous run with the national team, he's, he was seen more as a target forward. But we saw with New England that he can play on the flank. He mm-hmm. has the pace to get up and down. And he showed some really good stuff. Uh, Finley as well. Finley showed that he can he can set up goals. He can score goals from the wing. So for me, I think both that's those are two very good options. And you know, if you're talking about a strictly MLS camp, um, it's hard to find two better wing options to choose from. Joy Redmond asks, "What do you think the odds are Josie Altador stays at Sunderland through January? If he leaves, where does he go?" Well, he's definitely staying through January because he can't leave. Well, January is Thursday, so yes, he will stay uh, into January. Oh, he, if he means if he's going to stay after the through the window, he's not going to go anywhere. I would put a lot of money on Josie Altidore transferring at this point. Uh, I think it's time to just get out of there. And you know, I know I know he's gotten his minutes here and there. He's shown some flashes here and there. He still has not found the net. There is there is clear interest in him. From clubs in Europe, uh, obviously Werder Bremen uh, is one in, in the Bundesliga, and Lille is one in France. Those are two that I've had confirmed from my sources that are definitely interested. There is a long list. There's also clubs, obviously, in the Netherlands that would take him uh, at this point. Now, we're talking about top teams in the Netherlands. So he has options, and I think, you know, with, when you look at the way the fall, the first half of the Premier League season is gone, it's really been tough. Uh, really been tough for him to get minutes. Uh, obviously, Sunderland has – they've had a pretty good season uh, for what their expectations were and, and the forwards that they have. It's just going to continue to be tough for him to get really regular playing time. So I think, you know what, if anything, maybe even if it's a loan, I think he's got to make a move. Uh, Bradford DeLuca asks, any idea when the full MLS schedule will be released? Doesn't seem like it should be that hard. Well, actually, MLS has answered that question. Today, MLS announced that January 7th, the full schedule will be announced. And that's pretty damn early. And I got to say, hats off to MLS if, in fact, that does happen, if they do manage to make that announcement. And, of course, as we know, if they delay that announcement, you know what's going to come. Everybody's favorite hashtag, my favorite hashtag, uh, the (laughs) MLS schedule is late because uh, I'm sure we'll get plenty of those. But you know what? All jokes aside... It's great that they get it done this early because it just makes it that much easier for fans to plan. And we already have the U.S. national team setting out their their schedule for the first half of 2015. And now we have MLS putting out their schedule two months ahead of the start of the season. So, I mean, that's great. If you're, if you're an American soccer fan, you can really plan for the first half of this year. Uh, plan ahead. Book your flights. Figure out where you want to go. So it's great. Next question comes from Poe Neffi. He asks, RSL keeps losing players and haven't really replenished their roster, and it's old. How do you see their long season going? Well, you know, RSL, they've been on top for a while, but, you know, at a certain point, now that they're going to lose, lose Garth Lagerway, they have lost several players. I know they brought Hamas and Olave back. I think there's still be a good team, but they are going to lose some ground. I think they're going to lose some ground on the very top teams. I think Sporting KC steps in. I think they'll jump ahead of them in the West. I think Portland is due to rebound, and, and I think Portland will jump ahead of them. So now if you're RSL, you're all of a sudden going from you know c- competing for second 
first, second, or third in the West, and now you're looking at you could end up being fourth, fifth, and maybe even out of the playoffs. So uh, they still have Nick Romando. They still have Kyle Beckerman. They still have that. Com- now they're going to have that combination of Olave and Schuler, um, Luke Mulholland, L- Luis Gill, who is in the final year of his contract. We'll see what goes on there. They've got the quality still but you know when you keep losing players like that you got to be able to replenish them i know they have a lot of academy talent that may or may not develop into into reinforcements but i think those guys are still a couple years away so you know what i think we could start start seeing a slide from rsl in the next year or two (laughs) i love how you brought up the academy and the next question comes from chris howard which u.s men's national team friendly is the most important of the six not a trick question, given that all friendlies are meaningless. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, nah, uh, yeah. <laughs> all friendlies are meaningless, right? But no, they all have some meaning. They're not obviously as important as the Gold Cup or, or, or obviously the World Cup. Um, of these friendlies, I would say the one that would stand out for me is the Mexico friendly, because you know, as much as the U.S. plays Mexico over and over, and every, some people complain the U.S. plays them too many times. This is going to be a match of the best players in MLS against the best players in Liga MX. And I think from that standpoint, it's an, it's just, it has significance. It's an opportunity to see how the best MLS Americans do against the best uh, Liga MX Mexicans. And uh, it's easy to forget that Liga MX, as much money as they spend, and, and it is still a better league than MLS. Part of that is because they can go spend the money to get the higher quali- get higher quality internationals uh, across the board, obviously MLS is the, can get their share of, you know, Terry Henrys and, and, and David Beckham's and, and and Kaka and that kind of thing. Uh, but but Liga MX has they have many more top shelf uh, foreigners than MLS does. Uh, so this that matchup I think is important because we get to see we get to measure how those those stack up and also bragging rights. It's always about bragging rights with Mexico and the USA. And even though it's just a friendly, I think. It's an opportunity to send a message ahead of the Gold Cup because if you get an MLS, a group of MLS players beating a group of Liga MX players, um, it sends a certain kind of message. And especially it's, it, the game, I, I don't know, have they announced it that it's in San Antonio? I mean, I had reported that a while back. I don't know if they finally announced that, but uh, if it is in San Antonio, obviously it's going to be a pro Mexico crowd. If the U.S. can win in front of a pro-Mexico crowd, beat Mexico, I think it sends a great message heading into the summer. Yeah, I believe they have not announced the uh, location of that game yet. Right. I mean, I think it's only a matter of time. I mean, unless they're having trouble once again with the San Antonio venue. As we know, the Columbia friendly that was supposed to be there fell through. I am praying that it is there because I, I, any excuse to go back to Austin is fine with me. I actually just went to Austin two weeks ago, uh, a week, a week or and a half ago. Uh, had, had, you know, short time there. And I got to tell you, man, I, I don't know many places that have better food than the city of Austin. Unbelievable food, man. Why, why was it the game gets moved to Phoenix? That'd be okay. I wouldn't mind that either, man. Any chance we get to hang out, any chance I get to uh, go check out Divas FC, it's always uh, always a good time. So, uh, but wherever it is, I'm sure we'll, we'll, you know, I'm sure we'll. You you know what? Listen, if it is in Texas, you should find a way to get there. I probably could make April. I don't. That's tough, man. Find a way, my man. Find a way. That's tough. One day, one day, Ivis will be able to take the show on the road for every game. Yes, sir. It'll be like in 20 years, 30, possibly. Uh, not that far. <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, Chad Moon asks, I think this is a wire question, asks, Omar or brother Mazoon, I think I said that right, who would you rather meet up with in a dark Baltimore alley? How do you say it right before the show and then you butcher <laughs> it during the show? Uh, did you do it on purpose? Come on, man. <laughs> it's brother Muzone. 
Uh, who would I rather meet up with in a dark Baltimore alley? I would say Brother Muzone because he's the more he's. I mean, look, they're both. Uh, you know, if you watch the show, look, they're both honorable guys. They're in the game, uh, but they don't just kill civilians. They kill, you know, they 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 go after the people who are in the drug game. So if I just happen to be in an alley, I think I'd be fine running into either one of them. But if I had to choose, I'd probably go Brother Muzone. I think he'd probably be a little more reasonable than Omar. Yeah, well, what's what's the premise of the show? Are you, I, I don't. I don't begin, watch. I don't watch the show. I couldn't even begin to explain it to you. Basically, it's a, it, it, it's chronicling uh, life in in the American inner city. Uh, in this case, it's the city of Baltimore, and it, it just goes really in depth into the characters uh, that would make up your your kind of urban environment, where you have your drug dealers, you have your corrupt uh, corrupt politicians you have your kids that are having to deal with living in the in the inner city and all that stuff and it, for me it's the best show in the history of television that's just my opinion i'm not alone in thinking that but i'll I tell you what i think as someone who comes from the inner city i mean i have a little bit more of an affinity for that um so you know it's not everybody's cup of tea but i tell you what i i i love it and uh for the reason it's on everyone's mind and on everyone's lips everyone's talking about the wire these days is because hbo this week uh re-aired all five seasons of The Wire, and they actually made the show... The, the show came out, we're talking 2002 to 2000, was it 2007, uh, before HD. And what they went and did was they took all five seasons and converted it to HD, and they showed them all this week, big Wire marathon. So a lot of people saw their weeks completely taken up by watching this. I myself did that as well. I actually knocked out the first two seasons of The Wire just in these past few days. I'm I'm probably gonna knock out uh, the other three seasons in the next week or so, because uh, and and this this is probably I'd say this is probably my fifth or sixth time watching the entire series and it's that good man it's mm. that good and if you haven't seen the series folks I recommend taking some time and tr- and watching it man because it is deep it's deep it's good and it, for me it gets better every time you watch it because you just little you pick up little nuances of it it's that well written and I'd recommend it to anybody mm. all right good that's a good pitch Ivis. All right, there you go, man. I mean, I, look, I, show show I, sounds show sounds a little will be you know a little too violent for me in, in my upbringing. It's so. fine. I mean, it has <laughs> violence, but yeah, well, I know. I yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> we know we know your 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 sensibilities, your your, del- your delicate sensibilities, but no, nah, it, yeah. I think I think anyone can appreciate it. So. Uh, all right, final question in the SBI Q and A comes from King God. Will NYCFC succumb to the pressure and let Frank Lampard extend his say, and will it hurt NYCFC? Uh, if I had to put my, my, put my money on it, I'd put my money on him staying a bit longer. He, For my money, for me, the guy has to be in an NYCFC uniform for that opening match. He just has to be because if he's not I, – I mean – you can make the argument, yes, that in MLS the regular season doesn't matter that much. You get you know 10 teams make the playoffs uh, and all that. It's all well and good, but it's all about sending a message, and it would not be a good message – to the people who have decided to become NYCFC fans right off the bat and telling them, you know what, our our most high-profile signing, you know what, he's not going to bother show up the first couple of months of the season because he's going to play with the parent team, the, the 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 sister club. I just think that would send an awful, awful message. Uh, yep. and, and, and I don't know what the – look, the league can't do anything to stop it. It's going to come down to what Manchester City decides and what Frank Lampard decides. I mean, it, it's it's not going to look good on him either. 
Because if you're Frank Lampard, you came here, you said all the right things about what it means to you to come here, uh, and then you want to stay even longer with Manchester City. I mean, I, I tell you what, as a Chelsea fan, what does that say? If you're a Chelsea fan, right, you love Frank Lampard and everything he did for you in all the years that he played at Chelsea. But if the guy, it's bad enough you had to watch him play for Manchester City. It's bad enough that he scored against yeah, Chelsea. Yeah, I know. In the game, in the, in the first game he played, but if he then sticks around for the rest of the season to try to help Manchester City catch Chelsea, I mean that's your, that that is a bad look on multiple fronts for Frank Lampard. So for me, I think the it's best for all involved if Lampard if he wants to stay uh, another few weeks. You know what? That you can understand that. I mean, it, 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 is it would it really be that bad? I don't know. I don't know if that would necessarily be the case. But if you can't have him stay through the entire Premier League season, that for me would be an absolute embarrassment. Well, I got to tell you, Garrett, we, uh, you know, we, we, we said we would get uh, some guests for our last show of 2014. We were able to pull it off. We obviously had our first two guests. We had Omar Salgado and Amobia Kugo. And now we have our third guest, who I think is going to be the guest that a lot of people are going to be pretty excited to hear from. And, uh, and a guest who I, I got to say, it came to my mind that I, th- I, th- I thought to myself, what would be the best guest? Uh, that that would that would be the, the the one guest that Garrett would want to have on the show, and then, <laughs> and then and then and it came to me. It was like the perfect the perfect answer, the perfect person, uh, someone that you know is near and dear to your heart. Someone obviously you're uh, related to your biological father, um, and I and I'll leave it up to you. To, so take it away. This is a uh, this is a pretty big moment for for the SBI show. My biological father is joining the show, Alexi Lawless. How you doing, Alexi? Greetings, greetings. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, uh, if I am your uh, <laughs> biological father, then uh, I'm sorry uh, for for all the pain that you will uh, endure for the rest of your life. But um, you've made it this far, so you, you, you've done something right. Nice. He, 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 so for the record, he was born in, in Philly in 87. That's pretty close to Rutgers. Uh, were you at Rutgers then? I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the timetable works out there. Uh, it's a little. It's right before I got to Rutgers, but you know, I was uh, I was meandering. It's been a, you know, <laughs> a, a long and winding and strange road. Uh, so, uh, you know, stranger things have happened. But uh, uh, pleasure to be on the show. I've listened to you guys uh, for a lot. You get me through plenty of runs, and uh, I enjoy the content and the uh, and the personality. So it's cool to be here. Oh, great! Thanks, man. Yeah, we appreciate that. Thank you. So now, Alexi, first thing we have to obviously talk about is the move. You've you've made the move over to Fox. Uh, you're leaving ESPN. Uh, what, as far as that move goes, wh- when did you kind of know that you were ready to make that move? When, when did you kind of make finally make that decision? Well, I mean, it came down to you know, just like a soccer player, I was at the end of my contract, and uh, uh, unlike some soccer players in, in MLS, uh, a free agency was something that uh, uh, that existed, and so uh, there were there were other opportunities, and you know, this is the wonderful part about being. Uh, in soccer in 2014, uh, we're not there yet, but there are more and more opportunities as each year is, uh, goes on. And at some place like Fox, which we all know, uh, got the rights to the next couple of World Cups uh, and has been adding content on a continual basis over the last couple of years, was um, a logical possibility. And uh, they came calling. And uh, if if I have any value, it's because of the platform that ESPN has given me over the last, let's say, six-plus years that I've been with them. And uh, they not only gave me the platform, but they taught me how to use it. And I have learned so much and continue to. Uh, and, uh, there, you know, there's a number of different factors, uh, not the least of which is I have a family, and I live in Los Angeles, and I've been commuting 
uh, from Los Angeles for the last uh, many years, uh, oftentimes to Bristol, Connecticut. And for those of you that are geographically challenged, that's uh, across the continental United States. And while it racks up a lot of frequent flyer miles, it's not the easiest thing on the family. And so Fox is based in L.A., uh, the fact that they did have so much content. Um, and uh, a new challenge and a, and a change, and all of it, it's, it's exciting. I start off right right off the bat here uh, this weekend with uh, with FA Cup, and uh, and then obviously we have uh, MLS now coming over there, uh, and the usual stuff uh, that they have, uh, including uh, the Women's World Cup this summer, uh, and just a lot of different things that I'm going to be involved with. So I'm real excited to be working with some people that I think uh, believe in American soccer and believe in American soccer uh, and how we do it on television, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Now, the experience, the broadcasting uh, experience, I mean, is that, has it been what you thought it would be? Has, has it been better than you thought it, thought it would be when you first kind of decided to go down that road? Well, I I had uh, taken a year off. I took a, I, you know, I, I, I was doing sabbaticals before Landon Don even thought about doing sabbaticals. <laughs> and uh, so I took a year off back in the 1900s, um, and uh, actually, actually at the turn of the century, and I did a lot of TV. I actually did a regional broadcast for the San Jose Earthquakes, and then I actually worked for NBC in the Olympics uh, in 2000 down in Sydney. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And it was something that, in the back of my mind, was something that I definitely wanted to do. Uh, having done it now for a long time, it's much harder than it looks. Uh, it is something that you can't just be temporary. You can't just be passing through. And I meet so many people in TV now that um, are, are waiting for that next coaching job or waiting for that next uh, GM job. Uh, and this is just a way to buy the time. And I think you can get away with it for a little bit, but I think ultimately it will manifest itself in your performance. And I, I, whether I was on the soccer field or off the soccer field, uh, I'm in the entertainment business. And certainly on television, it is a performance, and I make no bones about it. It doesn't mean that I don't take it seriously. It doesn't mean that I'm not passionate about it. But learning the craft and learning how to do it and doing the research and the work um, – it's been it's been an incredible process, and I love television. I love working on it. I love debating. I love the argument. I love uh, the back and forth that we don't have enough of, as you guys know, when it comes to our sport in the United States. So it's been a fun ride. I'm still learning. I'm still hopefully getting better. Uh, but we'll see uh, how this move uh, changes that uh, one way or the other. But I think there's going to be some real interesting opportunities in Spence Fox. Now, you were down in Brazil, and you did an excellent job with coverage of the World Cup for ESPN. But a part of me has to feel that it had to have been a little bit different for you being at a World Cup as a TV commentator versus a player. Well, I mean, as a player, you're insulated, and for good reason, uh, just because of the amount of... Uh, pressure and, and attention and interest that comes from a World Cup. Uh, in TV, and just to, to set it up, uh, I was involved with ESPN broadcasting the World Cup, the domestic uh, uh, portion of it, uh, back to the United States. And so we were also, to a certain extent, insulated down in Rio. Now, the worst places to be insulated, but it was a Groundhog Day type of experience every single day. The interesting thing was, we started getting reports back and seeing pictures from what was going on back in the States. Uh, and it was amazing to see these watch parties and to see this, this, this soccer nation that, you know, you guys were part of it. And we've been there since the start and, and have grown out of it. To see the soccer nation uh, not apologize anymore and to come above ground and to not be niche uh, and, to, and to really grab a hold of the public consciousness and celebrate not just soccer, but being 
American, and, and we do that for a lot of different things. I recognize that when the when the flag's waving, it's it's it attracts a lot, and that's great. But to do it in the context of soccer, I think that was wonderful. And to see these pictures come back from what was going on, it almost made me uh, want, in a certain way, to be back in the states having that summer and celebrating it. So it was it was fun to be a part of. I'm so proud of the work that we did on uh, that we did with ESPN. I think we moved the. The, the sport along, and I think we moved the, tele, the you know the televising of the sport along, and how we dealt with it, and the the debate that we fostered, and the way that we didn't dumb it down, but we also made sure that that it was accessible to everybody, and rather being than being uh, exclusive, we were inclusive and tried to bring everybody in without slowing it down and having to explain what offside is or what a throw-in there is or something like that. You've been in a unique position over the last 20 years as an individual who's been able to see American soccer grow from many different levels as a player, working as a GM, and now being on TV. When, when you look back and see where we are now and just the growth that the game has had, are you surprised at all by where we are as a nation, or do you feel that we're not exactly there in terms of soccer knowledge and just general awareness of the game? You know, we always we always want more, and that's part of what makes our country great. And and sometimes we we kick ourselves in the ass for what we haven't done on and off the soccer field. And and the reality is that we also have to pat ourselves on the back. That the growth of this game, both in terms of what the product on the field and the the everything that surrounds it, has been unprecedented. When you put it up against other sports and other histories, when it comes to leagues or sports, and I'm very proud that I've played a little, small little part of it and that we're all a small little part of it. And just because you kick the ball doesn't mean you're any more or less important in terms of, of how it has progressed. Uh, and there is a, a soccer culture in America. There is an American soccer culture. And it is rich, uh, it is proud, uh, and it is powerful. And this uh, inferiority complex that we that we often have when it comes to our soccer is starting to dissipate with time. And to have uh, the soccer culture that exists in America that oftentimes in, in many places now defines who you are and how you talk and what you and how you dress and the things that you do, uh, even when it has nothing to do with the so- a soccer game. Uh, that's all wonderful things to be a part of because, uh, as you know, Ivis, and, and, and certainly we can attest to, it wasn't always that way. And it has changed so much and so much for the better. But like I said, one thing that makes our country great is we, we, we don't rest on our laurels. And while we're very proud of what we've done, we still got a lot, a, a lot to do. And uh, certainly things like winning a World Cup and becoming the place where people want to go when it comes to professional soccer and what people want to watch, all of those things I think are within our grasp. Uh, and if you looked at soccer in the United States as a stock, uh, this is one that you want to buy because the potential for growth is something that people have talked about for a while, but now you're actually seeing it being backed up by the data of the growth. Now, Alexa, you, you've been uh, in your playing career, you were on your share of teams and, and you had to leave teams and uh, leave teammates behind. Uh, but it, but this this might be a little different now. You, you've been uh, partnered with Taylor Twelman for a few years now. You guys have seem to have a, such a great working relationship. How tough is it going to be to kind of break up that partnership? And, and what was it about you guys that just kind of work so well together? You know, I mean, that's that to me is, uh, you know, the part of the, the, the sad part of this move. Uh, it's leaving a place that I love, people that I love, um, like I said, that have taught me so much at ESPN, uh, and leaving someone like Taylor Tolman, who I think 
uh, I think he has grown as much as I have grown there, and we've we've grown together and had so much fun. I mean, so much fun that it should be illegal <laughs> in terms of what we are doing. And I got to tell you something. I, you know, I didn't know Taylor uh, as a player. I played against him, but I didn't know him. And I've gotten to know him as a person. Uh, and I have been so impressed with how seriously he takes his job. And, and I, I always told him from the beginning, look, take what you do seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. And that's something that I've lived, you know, both on and off the field for, for a long time. And the amount of work and research that this guy does um, and, and the passion that he has for what he does, uh, he is an incredible asset to ESPN and to soccer in America. And it doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything he says. It doesn't mean you necessarily have to, have to like him. That's okay. And uh, I think that he's taught me as much as I've taught him. And I, I'm not, uh, I, I look forward to seeing what he is going to do in the future, whether it's with me or without me. Yeah, I, I, it's, it, it's painful that I, that I won't be able to work with him again in the near future. But I'm also excited because I think he's going to do some really good things. And look, to, to, to bring it, I guess, full circle, when we talk about Jurgen Klinsmann and competition and challenging people, it's good. It's good that we have Taylor Tolman. It makes me want to be better. It makes other people want to be better. He challenges other people to, to, to be better, whether it's people on camera or off camera, people that are involved in soccer, to, uh, to work harder, to try to get that story, to uh, go for that extra interview, to get more context. Uh, all of those different things I think Taylor does. That's the last I'm going to say about Taylor. If he's listening to it right now, that's it, buddy. You owe me big time for that. Uh, but it is true. He's not only a, a wonderful professional, but I'm, I'm proud to say he's also a great friend. And I will miss him in the professional capacity of working with him on ESPN. Uh, but I also am off to the races to, to try to, you know, kick his butt when it comes to uh, Fox. Because obviously we're in it together, but uh, MLS will be uh, on ESPN and Fox this year. So it's going to be fun uh, going back and forth with him. Nice, nice. Now, one of the topics of the day, uh, uh, I noticed on your, I don't know if you were referring to it or not on your Twitter, on your Twitter feed, but uh, Gideon Zelalem is apparently going to play for the U.S. now. He's gotten his American citizenship. Kind of wanted to get your take on that and, and on just kind of the reaction to it, because it's like it's almost like it, it, Christmas has come a few days late and U.S. fans are going crazy about a player that a lot of them haven't even seen play. Well, you know, there's there's nothing like the smell of potential to get U.S. soccer fans all riled up, and we've seen it for for years. And it's uh, you know, I was tweeting out today about the desperation that that we we all seem to have, uh, waiting for this anointed one, to, this savior, to come and take us to the promised land. And it goes it it goes back to part of the deal where you have. Um, we want everything. We want more. And that's something that I love about our country, wanting, wanting it all and wanting to be better and wanting to be the best. Uh, having said that, uh, we still don't know uh, how good he is going to be. Does he have the potential to be good? Absolutely. Uh, where does that potential come from? Well, it comes from whose books he's on, to be quite honest with you. And, and there's no, no doubt that he has been a, a, a good player from a young age. But if he wasn't uh, playing where he is playing right now, or on the books of where he was right now, we wouldn't be uh, so excited about this. Uh, because, And so we're basing it on someone's opinion that this is uh, a, a player that can do great things. We've always seen in the past where we've put a tremendous amount of pressure on young players to take us to the promised land, and it hasn't always worked out. I do believe that there will be an American player that will, you know, once again, take us to that place where we all want to be. And, and what we're really talking about here is, a national team that can compete and win a World Cup. 
Uh, but I also believe that that player won't necessarily come from a traditional background and won't necessarily come from the places that are most obvious. And that's okay, because in that sense, it will be the most American soccer type of story that it can be. Uh, we've done things differently, and we've done things uniquely, and it hasn't always worked out, and it's not always um, the best way to do it. But it is our own way. It is La Cosa Nostra. And so uh, whether it's Gideon or anybody else, putting a lot of pressure on a young player is okay. It's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, at some point, one of them is going to live up to it. Uh, but uh, the desperation for that person to come through, I think, just shows how much we want to be there. And maybe to a certain extent, once again, confirms this insecurity that we have um, and our sensitivity to not yet being there. And not even necessarily in everybody else's eyes, but maybe in how we view ourselves as a soccer-playing nation. And maybe I view us uh, as better than, than we ultimately are, but that's my choice, and, uh, and I don't apologize for it. In October, we saw Jurgen Klinsmann and Don Garber go back and forth at each other over a few interesting topics. What did you think about their uh, war of words? Yeah, I mean, it was wonderful for us. Uh, it gives us something to talk about. And, and I actually, I, uh, at the time, I, you know, usually I'm, I'm asked to give my opinion one way or the other, and I, I, I think on air I kind of split the baby when it came to him because I thought, it, I thought it was appropriate. Because on the one hand, I love the fact that he stood up for something that he believes in. I love people that stand up, whether I agree with them or not, for things that they have, or they have a passion for, things they believe in. It's certainly Don Garber. You know, you, know, you, can, you can argue with him and, and disagree with him on different things, but there's no denying the fact that the league is in a much better position than it was when he took over. Does he deserve all the credit? No, but it's on his watch. And when people are saying uh, stuff about his league that he disagrees with and or believes are detrimental to the league, yes, he should come out. Now, the other, the other side of it is Jurgen Klinsmann's responsibility as a coach of the national team is to get the national team to win the World Cup in any way he sees fit. His responsibility is not to MLS. Uh, his responsibility is to coach that team. Now, it gets a little dicey when you talk about Jurgen Klinsmann as both the coach and the technical director and what the responsibilities are there. That's probably a whole other podcast. All in all, I think it was great because it fostered debate. And once again, I don't think that we have enough uh, discussion and debate and, yes, argument and disagreement when it comes to soccer. The reality is that some of the most interesting argument and debate comes from podcasts and comes from blogs and comes from Twitter. And while that's great, um, it's, it's limiting. And when it comes to other sports, that is happening on a continual basis on television and on big-time uh, media outlets uh, and hitting the masses. And we need to be there because I think it's fascinating, some of the debate that we have, and very unique when you put it up against other sports. And so when you have Don Garber coming out against Jurgen Klinsmann for what he said. Now, ultimately, do I agree with what Jurgen Klinsmann uh, talked about? Um, I think that the U.S. can win a World Cup populated with uh, players that have grown up in a from AYSO and are born and bred in the United States. Uh, and I think the U.S. can win a World Cup with a mixture of players like that and players that are naturalized. I think that the U.S. can win a World Cup with all naturalized um, players. Ultimately, it's finding that right mix. I don't give a crap where you were born. I don't care what language you speak. What I care about when I see the national team is that I see a player who has decided 
and says, I want to be there. This is the team that I want to play for. And that's all that matters to me. And when you put your hand over your heart and you sing that national anthem, then it means something for you. Because if you are just a mercenary, it will manifest. It will manifest itself at some point. And, and usually it's karma and it's at the worst point. And you don't need that. And uh, so this, this was all good in terms of the debate that it fostered. And, and I enjoyed it and gave us plenty of material on ESPN. Uh, now, Alex, we won't, we'll try not to keep you too much longer. We definitely appreciate the time. But uh, along the lines of Klinsman, I, I, I'm I'm very curious about your opinion on his job. I know that it, he's he seems to be a real polarizing figure. You have people who appreciate the work that he's done. You have people who think he's been terrible. Uh, kind of there's not doesn't seem to be much middle ground. H- how do you think he's done a, as U.S. coach? Uh, well, I can only judge him uh, based on the criteria that he himself laid out. And in that sense, I don't think that we have seen, um, a revolution or an evolution when it comes to how this team plays. Uh, and to use his word, I don't think that this team is, uh, is more proactive. I think that he has ultimately made this team a better version of itself. And had he not promised the other things, that would have been fine with me. I have, I have no problem with somebody coming along and taking it uh, and continuing on and keeping the best part of what the U.S. team is in terms of its traits and characteristics, but also adding other things. Uh, the problem is, is that when you, you, you talk about fundamentally changing the way the team plays, and then I see a team that shows all the hallmarks of every other team, be it good or bad when it comes to the U.S., great goalkeeping, set pieces, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, the spirit and the commitment, all that kind of stuff, and the, uh, the grit and the determination. The U.S. has always had that type of stuff. But what are we still, uh, what are we still lacking? We're lacking in possession uh, and consistent possession out of the back. Um, and it doesn't mean that we haven't ever possessed the ball by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, uh, we, we still have, don't have a consistent goal score, and, we, and, and you could argue that we have, we're much worse in that department than we have been in the past. Uh, and certainly this attacking center creative midfielder that seems to be this, this panacea that everybody's uh, searching for has not come to fruition, whether it even exists at all in the modern game, let alone in the U.S. game. Um, all of these different things lead me to say, you know what, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, I think, has done a great job in terms of asking questions that either we haven't asked before of ourselves uh, or we are scared of the answers, and I think that that is important. But when it comes to the actual X's and O's and living up to what he promised, I don't think that that has happened. Um, but I also don't think that getting out of a very, very difficult group in Germany uh, is by any stretch of the imagination a failure, although it, it's happened before. So there is a lot of uh, questions about, uh, you know, does the king have clothes and, and, and all, and all those, those different things. And... Uh, I think it's it's a fascinating story. And the fact, like we said earlier on, that he is now a technical director, and how is he fundamentally changing the way that we go about developing players, and how will that manifest itself in, in future generations and future national teams remains to be seen. But it's been it's been a fun ride. Right uh, now, one one uh, two quick ones for me, real quick, and then we we can wrap up. One, I I definitely want to get your take on: is, is there a player, American player, this year in 2014? Who kind of emerged in your in your mind? Who who impressed you the most in 2014? Someone who maybe kind of you know came out of the woodwork and you know caught your eye and and you th- and and as a player you really like him. Well, uh, let's see. Uh, 
I mean, I, I don't know if he, he came out of nowhere, but I, I thought Matt Beasler was uh, interesting, and I also thought that Graham Zuzzi was interesting um, for the the storyline uh, that they took. Uh, you know, Graham Zuzzi, look, he's never going to be Landon Donovan, uh, but but there was this this idea that he was going to somehow be this uh, midfield maestro uh, that was going to do great things, and we were going to be impressed. And when he didn't live up to that, when he didn't necessarily have a bad World Cup, uh, people came down on him. I, I think that, uh, that Graham Zuzzi has got a tremendous future, and I think is a very, very good player. Has he peaked is, is the question. And then to see how it all played out, uh, leveraging uh, the World Cup and leveraging uh, the, the star power, if you will, and using it to become a designated player, and then how that all affected the team, um, uh, and how sporting went on and did all of that. I thought that was, that was, that was fascinating. And so having been through all that for someone like him and now having an off season and, and had that under his belt, both the good and the bad of it, I'm interested to see how he develops. What, what does a Graham Zuzzi become now in 2015? Is, is this the best that we've seen? Is this as good as it gets? Um, or is there another, proverbial gear, and I'm not just talking about speed on the field, but something else that he becomes having gone through those situations over 2014, and, and just a heck of a 2014, uh, and, and both the good and the bad, that has made him what he becomes in 2015. I'll be fascinated to see something like that. Okay, uh, and then the second one for me, uh, Landon Donovan retired this year. Uh, Demarcus Beasley retired from the national team. Carl Spoke Negra retired. We've seen we've seen cycles pass through. We've seen uh, generations uh, move along, but obviously this group, especially Landon, uh, kind of a one of a kind player for the U.S. I mean, who? How do you see the U.S. kind of replacing him? And who and is is there any? Do you see anyone replacing him anytime soon? I mean, do you do you see anyone that kind of th- could possibly fit that bill? No, I mean. I don't. I don't see. You don't replace somebody like him. Um, you <laughs> look. He, he's he's the greatest male American soccer player ever to play the game, and uh, you don't replace somebody like him for what he did. And it's interesting because while he has this this perception of being this all encompassing player, uh, those that watched him consistently day in and day out, and I know you guys did. Um, he faded out tremendously in games. It was this was his often his mo where you wouldn't see him. But re, what made him great in my book was that when you did need him in that moment, he was able to step up and provide it time and time again in in some of the biggest moments as as we know. Uh, I, I don't think that you have that go to type of player anymore. You know, Clint is Clint is a little different in terms of how he plays the game, just just practically how he goes about his business, um, and. And the the aura about Clint is very different than than Landon. So I don't and I don't know where does where does Clint go. It might also be the the finished product. Um, but I don't think that Jurgen Klinsmann uh, or Bruce Arena replaces him. Now, when it comes to MLS and Bruce, uh, we've seen how the Galaxy has been able to lose a big and important player like David Beckham, and Bruce doesn't miss a beat, so he figures it out. And there's also an element of and being excited for the opportunity to not have that. Because, look, these big players, they, they, they draw a tremendous amount of air out of the room. And it can be 
debilitating for coaches and for players alike. So to get to that point where you don't have to deal with that and there is a change can almost be uh, just incredibly bring us an incredible sense of relief. And so I'll be interested in, in, in terms of how, well, the national team obviously went on without him, but certainly the Galaxy adjusts on the field and off the field, and MLS for that matter, because of how important Lando was. Now I got to tell you, Jurgen, maybe yeah, Jurgen might be the only other guy right now who gets more who gets more criticism than you in American soccer. I, 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 and, and I and I got to tell you, you handle it so so perfectly. I mean, it, it just it's like water off your back, and it's not a surprise to me because I, I remember you as a GM in the league, and you you were great about handling criticism. You know, I gave you my share as a writer way back in the day. Sure, sure. Um, how do you how do you do how, how are you so good about just kind of facing that criticism and and, and you seem to almost have fun with it. Uh, I, well, first off, I've been uh, criticized and made fun of for yeah, most of my life uh, in various capacities uh, and in various ways. Um, you certainly don't uh, you know, start off life as a, um, a possessor of the mutant gene and then and a redhead uh, and not get your fair share of, uh, of abuse. And so very early on, you learn to defend yourself in different ways, both um, physically and, and, uh, and, and non. So uh, when it comes to, to criticism, first off, the, the professions that I have chosen, that's part, that goes, that's part and parcel, whether it's a professional soccer player uh, being a, a GM of a team um, or certainly on television. And so I understand that that's going to happen. I also, uh, I look at it as people having their say with regards to soccer. So while, while it can be personal, I look at it as they're talking about soccer. And I love the fact that people are passionate and are talking about soccer, even if, even if because of they're angry at me for something that I said that they disagree with, uh, or they think that I'm a moron because, because of this. And I believe me, there's plenty of times uh, where, where that happens. That's okay. I like the fact that people um, are, are, are passionate about this sport and, and even irritated uh, at, at times with me. That, that's okay. Um, and when it comes to Twitter, I mean, that's just, you know, a lot of this stuff trying to just kind of uh, writes itself. But as I said before, I take what I do serious, uh, seriously, but I don't take myself too seriously. I make plenty of mistakes. I mean, I look back, uh, I was, you know, you were, you were covering me as a GM uh, and as a player. I made plenty of mistakes, both on and off the field as a player, and then certainly as a GM, um, I made plenty of mistakes. I was young. I also learned a tremendous amount and got an incredible respect for the business of soccer. Uh, I still make mistakes. I make mistakes on TV, and I will continue to do so, hopefully fewer and fewer. But I will say that uh, it's much easier uh, to sit on the couch uh, and talk about soccer than it is when that red light goes on. you got 13 seconds to make your point and to do it in an articulate way. And you can't say um or like or you know or stutter or anything like that or God forbid you pronounce a player's name wrong or any of these other things. <laughs> and uh, so it goes, it goes with the territory. That's a long way of saying, you know what, uh, I really just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. I definitely feel like you couldn't be my dad. I mean, there's no way I inherited that, that way that you're able to handle criticism well, Lexi. Garrett, Garrett. Well, I mean, you gotta do it, man. I mean, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> let it go. You gotta let it go. Garrett's pretty thin-skinned, in case you had, in case you didn't know. Really? Well, <laughs> you know, hey, hey, I'm, I'm, short. I'm not a, like Alexi. You know, I'm, what am I? It's like five three with red hair. You know, it would have been better if I was at least six three with red hair. 
That yeah, helps. that's true. Yeah, that helps. True. <laughs> yeah, the height, the height often does help. You know, I mean, you'd be surprised. I've, I've actually, I thought of putting together a book of all the different, you know, the crazy things that people have said. And, and like I said, now they have this incredible conduit in Twitter that can go directly to me. Um, but I have, uh, you know, it all it, it, it started when I was young. I mean, that's just kind of face to face people saying stuff to you. Uh, and then it was fan mail, uh, you know, hate mail, all that kind of stuff. And then it was what, uh, you know, big soccer or, or comments like that. I remember my mom used to print out horrible things that people were saying about me. I don't know why she wanted to do this, but I think, you know, she, look, I'm a, I'm a chip off the old block when it comes to her. I think she got a kick out of it when people were saying horrible things about me. Uh, at least they were spelling my name right and they were talking about me. And, and she understood that, 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 that I'm, I'm in the entertainment business and that I'm a performer and that, that goes with it. So she used to hand me these stacks of people uh, of comments back then, uh, back in the day when we didn't have Twitter and all that kind of stuff. And now she follows me and, and, uh, and laughs about the, the stuff that people say. Nice. What is the, uh, out, of, out of, you know, your whole life, what is the best thing anyone's ever said to you? Or do you remember it? Fun, the funniest crack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the funny, oh, well, I mean, there's, there's, you know, here's the usual stuff about, you know, me being soulless and, uh, you know, I mean, that, that may or may not be the case. And, uh, I, I always tell them, um, just be careful because <laughs> if it is the case, then not only do I not care, but it really doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Uh, the best thing that any, and, and I'll actually say something positive because I, I might give the impression on Twitter that all that happens is people say bad things to me. And the reality is it's just a whole lot more fun to tweet, to retweet bad stuff. And it gives me a lot more to play with when people say bad stuff. But I get plenty of good stuff out there. Um, I will tell you one good thing that had nothing to do with Twitter. After the World Cup, uh, I flew, actually with Taylor, we flew directly to Philadelphia to do an MLS game. Uh, this summer, and I got off the plane, and I was walking through Philadelphia um, the day before the MLS game, actually the day of the MLS game, getting a uh, a um, uh, a bite to eat, and uh, an old man came up to me and said, are you Alex? And I said, uh, I don't know. He goes, you're Alex from the soccer on television. I said, okay, close enough. That's, that's great. And he said, I just wanted to meet you. He goes, you know what? I don't know anything about soccer. I've never watched soccer. I don't particularly like soccer. But you know what? You made me watch soccer this summer. And that was one of the nicest and the best things that anybody could ever say to me. I mean, look, we're, we're all junkies and we're all in this together. And, and it's all fine and well. But to have someone like that come up who knows nothing about soccer, could care less about soccer, and to say that because of what we did on ESPN, we were able to bring him into this wonderful sport that we all know and love, and so at least get him to pay attention. That was the ultimate compliment, one of the nicest things that anybody uh, ever said to me. It had nothing. He didn't tweet it. He didn't email it. He didn't smoke signal it or anything like that. He just walked up to this guy, and uh, it was one of the nicest moments that I've ever had. No, it's good to hear that, and it's good to see the, the progression of you know non-soccer fans becoming soccer fans. Well, Alexi, you know, thank you so much for taking time from, uh, from your holidays to jump uh, on the show with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I wish you luck uh, with, with the pod and uh, and everything else. And uh, hopefully, uh, we'll get invited back at some point. And uh, we're off to the races here. Looking forward to 2015. Good things for you uh, and your families, uh, and good things on and off the soccer field. All right. Thanks, Alexi. Well, geez, Ivis, it only took us almost two years to finally get Alexi on the show. And first, I'm not, what a great way to end uh, end the show with Alexi as the final interview. 
Right. No, it was great. I'm, I'm glad we were able to get him. Uh, and definitely thanks to him. He was on vacation. He's on vacation with his family down in uh, Florida, and he was kind enough to join us. And uh, I always tell Garrett, that, look, Alexi listens to the show, and uh, you know, he he, he obviously get, it'd be great to get some critiques from him, and also just to have him on the show. And uh, he was great. And uh, I know a lot of people. Hey, I know a lot of people that love him. A lot of people that hate him. And, and like I said, when, when during the interview, I've always been impressed with with his ability to kind of uh, deal with the criticism in anything he does. I, I'll, I'll always remember my time covering him when he was a GM of the uh, of the Metro Stars slash Red Bulls, and. You know, I, I'll, I'll I'll readily admit that I took my share of of shots at him, um, and I, you know, deserved or not, you know, they like he, he, he during his time as a GM, and, and he always he always handled it with class. He never took it personally, and uh, he 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 always uh, handled it well. And he he's doing the same thing now with TV. You know, he he has people who who appreciate the work that he does, and then he obviously has people who cannot stand him. And it's amazing to me what a polarizing figure he's become. Uh, but yeah. you know what? He's uh, above all the guy is not boring. The guy makes he 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 generates a reaction. At the end of the day, if you can do that in 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 media, you're doing a good job. Well, it's like the story that he told with the guy coming up to him and saying, "You know, I'm watching soccer because of you." It's it's like you said, man. It's as long as we continue to have people talk about soccer in a positive light, talk about the game, that helps encourage grow the game. Also, I'm concerned, man. You taking shots at people? What's up with that? Hey, it's part of the game, man. It's part of the game. You know, if you if if you're a player or if you're a GM or if you're a coach, you're going to be subject to criticism. And myself as a columnist, col- uh, writing columns is part of my job. It's been part, it's been my job for, you know, more than a dozen years and uh, I I think I've said this before. It's always been the case where players in general don't handle criticism nearly as well as coaches and general managers i think maybe when you're once you get to that age where you're a coach or gm i think you 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 understand that it's part of the ter- it comes with the territory it's part of the job uh some players handle it well but i i could i could think of so many cases where where players just did not handle criticism all that well and it's you know what it comes with the territory it comes with the job and i think i think what i've found is the players will respect criticism if 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 it's not you know if it if 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 it's warranted and if you if it's not cheap shots i mean if you if you if you're kind of respectful in your in your criticism then you know what what can they say you know if a player's not playing well player's not getting the job done then they even they they have to know right they have to know when they're not getting the job done of course yeah they they do know you know they just don't like to read about it, Ivis, but... Uh, there's also some who are just flat out in denial, let's be honest. That's true. That's also true. Uh, well, the final thing before we close out, well, we close the books on, on the SBI show in 2014, we need to look ahead to 2015. The season, Ivis, is right around the corner and rapidly approaching is going to be the MLS Super Draft. And on top of that, you have the MLS Generation Adidas class starting to kind of take form right now. Uh, sources have confirmed to you guys, to SBI, that um, one player has already signed a generation at Adidas contract. It's going to be small, but can you provide us with an update of who that player is and kind of the uh, the, the formation of generation Adidas over the next couple of weeks? Well, first, let me just remind people that we are uh, about just about two weeks away now from the MLS draft. It's it's right around the corner. You know, it's so funny how quickly the the off season ends comes and goes it's just like mls cup was just yesterday it feels like it was just yesterday and now the draft is just two weeks away the mls combine is just one week away uh it all happens really fast it's time to get back on the grind and and, gen- and the generation adidas class is obviously something that 
that people are always interested in. And for those who don't know what that is, for, I know there's some um, some listeners who aren't as hardcore uh, and, and versed on the MLS rules and everything. Generation Adidas is the program that MLS uses to sign underclassmen to come into the draft. If, if you want to come into MLS draft out of college, you have to sign a Generation Adidas deal. And through the years, some of the best college players have tended to come through that program. That program has gotten smaller and smaller with the, with more homegrown players being signed. Uh, and this year's class is probably going to be the smallest it's ever been. They're, they're, from what my sources have told me, the league is probably going to sign three to four. They, they're probably top out at five, but it's going to be a small class. Uh, it's still an important process, though, because you're going to get, you know, if, if the league does its job, they're going to get the be- some of the best college players to sign as underclassmen and the first one they signed Romario Williams uh Jamaican striker young Jamaican striker out of central Florida uh, I had him projected in our first MLS draft big board as the number eight player uh on the board uh we'll, we'll, we'll be updating that later this week we'll also have our first mock draft on SBI later this week uh I know, I know some people have asked well you know isn't this a little late in the game or isn't this early in the game nothing's really changed. The process is what it is every year. You have MLS reaching out to these players. They, they, they make their initial offers. A lot of times they're low ball offers and then there's the negotiating process. Um, But you know what? I think at the end of the day, MLS is going to sign a couple of pretty good prospects and we'll see where they go in the draft. Uh, Obviously one of the top players has already chosen to stay in school. Joshua Yarrow, the Georgetown defender. Uh, He could have been the number one pick in the draft, but he chose to stay in school. But you have Kyle Aaron out of UConn, who's in negotiations. I would put my money on him signing. The the league has to have him in the draft. Um, Both of the top teams in the draft uh, really rate him well. Toronto FC rates him well. Uh, Montreal obviously wouldn't mind taking a Canadian striker as well. So he's someone who will absolutely go with one of the top picks in this draft. So if you're MLS, you have to make that deal. Uh, other players to look at, obviously, is, is Abu Dunladi from UCLA, um, uh, outstanding freshman there, and, and also Christian Roldan from the University of Washington, a midfielder, also very talented. He's he's another target. So we'll see how, how it plays out. I think over the next week we'll know who the signings will be. I think I think the league will settle on its class before the combine. That's usually what they try to do because they want to have these players come to the combine if they can. Um, and and the, we're gonna. This is the last show of the year for SBI. When we come back next week, we'll start gearing up for the combine. As anyone who reads SBI knows, we take the MLS combine and the MLS draft very seriously. I take it very seriously. Uh, it's a labor of love for me, and 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 we as a staff are definitely gonna go after it. So we'll be down in Florida uh, a week from now to cover it all. So definitely stay tuned for that. And over the next couple of weeks, Ivis and I will we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, MLS Super Draft as 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 we approach it. Well, Ivis, uh, this is it, man. The, the the final last tangent, the last twenty minute. You and I will keep talking of uh, of twenty fourteen to end the SBI show. Well, I tell you what, we the, the <laughs> interviews. The, I think the interviews were long enough where we don't really have to. Uh, shoot the breeze at the end. I think I think the interviews speak for themselves. Thought the all three interviews I thought were great. Alexi obviously gave us a ton of time, so uh, I'm sure for everyone who's been asking us when would we have another show. Hopefully this show, this mega show, uh, is enough to, to tide people over through the new year into the new year, and we'll be back with a show early next week. Um, do you have you already made plans for your uh, New Year's resolutions? Do you have any? Resolutions already? I mean, come on. Resolutions, uh, 
Uh, I, I want to try to sleep on a more regular schedule, which hopefully will mean recording the show at, during daytime hours so we can get interviews like we were able to get. Today was great. Today, we, we, you know, it was great just reaching out to a bunch of people and, 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 and securing a handful of interviews pretty quickly. I was able to get everyone today. Uh, that was great. And hopefully we can start doing that on a more consistent basis so we can have guests become a more regular part of the show again. Yeah. Well, I, I guess that would be then my resolution to be more available during the day so we can have guests. So, well, since you can't really, since apparently you can barely stay awake at night, we have to kind of we have to kind of do the show. There, <laughs> Dude, my sleeping schedule's changed, man. When I was single, I was staying up all the time. I didn't need any sleep, and now it's like midnight. I'm done. It's unbelievable how f- are you fun. What happened? What aware, happened, Ivis? For the last few mo- the last the last month or two of of the year. Uh, part of the reason we haven't been able to have shows on a consistent basis is because our schedules just can't match up because Garrett's going to bed at like 8 p.m. <laughs> his, you know, whatever it's time. Not, it's not that early. It's early enough. I stay up super late. I'm I'm down to have, stay up as late as it takes to do the show. And this guy nods off like every other time, every other time <laughs> we do a show. So you know what? Let's try to do it at a more reasonable hour. I think everyone will be happier with that. I think your girlfriend will appreciate that. I think my family will appreciate that. And most importantly, we'll be able to get more guests. And I think there's so many uh, guests that that I, I think that we can bring onto the show and that people want to hear from. Uh, and you know what? There's uh, there's obviously other shows out there that get guests on a more consistent basis. And I think once we get back to getting guests on a regular basis, we'll reclaim our place as as the show that everyone wants to listen to. Eight p.m. Pacific. That's that is so that is so inaccurate, Ivis. Ah, listen, I, I I don't know. Before midnight. It's midnight. It's usually midnight. Dude, it's she gets ready for bed, and like I see it, and then all of a sudden I start getting tired. Yeah. <sighs> It's, we'll it's, it's still an adjustment, Ivis. It hasn't been a year since I moved in. It's, it, I'm still learning the, Laura, the tricks. Well, you're, you've changed. You've changed so much. I have, man. <laughs> I don't Matt, even know you anymore. <laughs> you know, Matt, it's like Garrett, when the SBI show first started in 2012, was so different than the Garrett now. Like, totally night and day. You're all grown, you're all grown up, man. You're all grown up. People are seeing it. Uh, seeing the, the, the maturation of Garrett Cluggler <laughs> right before their eyes. <laughs> uh, sounds horrible. All right, Ivis. Well, I'm going to let you go, man. You uh, enjoy your New Year's, and uh, and I'll talk to you in 2015. Yes, sir. And I can tell you one thing before I go. I got to point out, I, I was cleaning my garage, and I stumbled onto a nice stash of 1990s hip-hop. I'm going to dig through it, and, and we should have some fresh beats, uh, fresh intro beats for the show heading into the new year. I'm uh, pretty excited to start digging in because we, we, we need to find beats. We're always running out. It's not easy to, to come up with a new song for every single show, and we're, we're, we're approaching show number 200, and, and we've had over 170 songs uh, introed. No on repeats. The show. Nah, we've had, we had some repeats. Uh, well, okay, maybe like two. Nah, we've probably had five or six. Five or uh, six? Some, some, some intentional, some unintentional. Uh, yeah, I think, I think if I had to count, I'd say we probably had at least five or six uh, repeats. But still, that's still pretty impressive. More than 170 different beats. Uh, as intro beats, and I know people are always asking uh, me to put a list together of the beats. I'm gonna at some point I'm gonna do that. At some point on YouTube, I'm gonna I'm gonna put like just put a a, a, a video together with all our intros. That'd be good. What about the outros? We gotta put the outros in there too. You gotta give me some. Yeah, like six songs. This could be outro. this could we be like like an outcast thing, you know, where like I'm Andre three thousand, you're big boy, and we could release our own albums on on you know own albums on one CD. We could do that. 
No, we'll do a mixtape. We'll do the SBI show mixtape. There you go. Yeah, no, for me. All right. Well, I was, like I said, man, I'll talk to you in 2015. Yes, sir. See you yeah. next year. Yes, and as always, everyone, thank you for listening. Enjoy your New Year. Once again, thank you for uh, listening to another year of Ivis and myself on the SBI show. We will be back in 2015. Look for a show on Monday morning for Ivis Glarsep. I am Garrett Cleverly. This is the SBI show. <laughs>